Hello, everyone, and welcome to the She Research Podcast. I'm your host, Kate McKay, and today I'm joined by Associate Professor Julie Mooney Summers. And today we're going to be talking about Julie's SWASH study. Mm. Hello, Julie. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. So, yeah, the study we're talking about today is called SWASH. It's about LBQ women's health, or it's the LBQ women's health study. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess to start us off, what gave rise to this study? What's the story behind the study? Ooh, it's got a nice story, actually. I like a good origin story for a research project. Um, and it's not, and I have no claim to the origin story. Uh, so, in um, the kind of beginning of the 90s, there was quite a lot of concern around the world, really, about... Um, HIV and about the idea that HIV might move from, I'm going to use quote marks a bit, um, might um, move from gay men into the general population through uh, women having sex with bisexual men. Mm-hmm. Probably by men they d- didn't know were bisexual. Mm. Um, there's some terrible uh, newspaper stories and headlines from the time, really kind of hysterical stuff about um, these poor innocent women and these terrible bad men Uh, and so um, a couple of research projects happened to try and get a sense of that Mm -hmm. Um, one was an anonymous phone um, survey which was kind of the only way they thought they could do the research at the time um, which suggested that probably were grounds for some concerns in terms of whether women how much women knew about their their partner's sex lives what kind of conversations were happening there was a kind of um, this idea that maybe safety was entirely conceived of in terms of trust, mm. it would never hurt me kind of uh, things. Mm. Um, so uh, two um, projects and um, surveys came out around the same time in 1996. One was called MASH, I think it was, which was the, <laughs> the kind of men's sexual health survey, which became the gay men's periodic survey, which still runs in Australia, all over the country. Um, and the second one was SWASH, which was the Sydney Women in Sexual Health Survey. Or maybe the other one was called SMASH, that would make more sense. SMASH. 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 <laughs> uh, and so SWASH, um, the intent was for SWASH to basically capture information on uh, women who were engaged with, with the LGBT community and to get a sense of mostly sexual health, but actually hepatitis C was quite a concern as well, so there was questions also around drug use, okay. injection drug use. Um, so one of the surprising things that happened was that mostly it was lesbians who filled in the survey. Mm. And um, the study had come through a partnership between what was then called the AIDS Council of New South Wales, which is now called ACON, mm-hmm. and um, local health um, districts which have all changed their names 20 times since then, so I can't even remember what they were called, uh, and researchers at um, the University of New South Wales. And so uh, they uh, um, produced a report um, from that survey in 1996. We're surprised at how many lesbians had filled it in. And it's interesting, I've gone back actually and read some of the minutes from the board meetings of, of the AIDS Council at the time, and there's this kind of shift where they decide that hey, maybe we should do research with lesbians. And so it shifts in 1998 to a survey primarily about lesbian women engaged with the LGBT community. So basically the survey has run every two years since then. 
Wow. And it's kind of morphed from being specifically about sexual health to being much more of a general health survey mm -hmm. and runs in almost exactly the same way that it did originally in 1996, uh, which is primarily through the um, Mardi Gras season, so mostly through Fair Day, but we also attend lots of venues and events where we think there will be lesbian, bisexual, and queer women in attendance and to try and get a good diversity. Uh, it's still almost entirely done on paper. Mm. It's still um, our recruiters are all peers, some members of the community who approach people in the various venues offering them the survey. And so in some ways it's not changed much and in other ways it's changed a great deal. Mm. Mm. So that's kind of where it's come from. That's really cool. It's a really interesting story. And so well, what are some of the things that you've found over the years of doing the survey? Mm. Oh, Heaps of things. <laughs> uh, it's it's a really interesting survey because because it was done on a, on a sheet of paper, uh, it kind of could only really cover two A4 sides. So it's kind of critical indicators. It's not giving us a lot of um, depth. And I'm a qualitative researcher, so I want depth. It's a bit frustrating. Um, <laughs> so we kind of get headlines that I think kind of point to where there are issues. Uh, so obviously in the early the early days of the survey, that was mostly around sexual health, um, particularly looking at um, findings around um, the proportion of lesbian women who have a sexual history with men, which is not a surprise to anybody in the community, but continues to be a surprise to people working in health and policy. <laughs> um, so we keep having to say that. Um, and that actually a significant proportion of the men that lesbian and bisexual women have sex with are gay men because that's in their social network. So mm -hmm. in terms of thinking about HIV um, or other STI risks and thinking, having to think about um, what might health promotion look like to those particular women in the community. I'm thinking more, um, if we think currently, about um, incredibly uh, significant and important and positive changes around the use of PrEP that mean that condom use is dropping, but what does that mean for things, other STIs, mm -hmm. who are having sex with gay bisexual men who are on PrEP, um, and also unplanned pregnancies. So this kind of, we've kind of come full circle in some ways to kind of, we're, we're again in a new in a new era, I guess, with PrEP. Mm. Um, we also, uh, so I guess the kind of headlines we cover, or I think of them as critical indicators, uh, are around mental health, um, uh, smoking, and I'll get, come back to smoking because in some ways that's that's a particular area that we've done that it has produced quite a lot of work. Um, so smoking, alcohol, illicit drug use. Um, we ask some general health questions, um, quite a bit on mental health actually, mm -hmm. um, and also experiences of um, anti-LGBTI harassment and discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of. Uh, all the kind of obvious major health questions we're asking a kind of a critical indicator. And over time, um, I guess we tracked changes in um, most of them, mm -hmm. um, mental health particularly. So we've seen a um, quite a significant drop, uh, uh, sorry, a, quite a significant increase in acute psychological distress. And we can see that particularly around marriage equality so because we're asking every two years we can kind of look at how think about what might be the context of some of those changes I guess one of the 
um, real strengths of the SWASH survey is that because it's happening every two years in the same kind of way, in the same kind of places, geographically in the same kind of places, I think we could be pretty confident that when we're picking up something that that's reflecting what's happening in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, to go back to smoking, in some ways smoking is the thing that's uh, a kind of um, nice example of the power of swash. Mm-hmm. So, um, swash has been asking about smoking for 20 years and, and been, it's been reported but no one really paid much attention to it. And about eight years ago, um, so my colleague Rachel Deacon, who's the statistician in the team, um, and I were putting together um, the, one of the reports and started talking about the smoking numbers. And we had a look online at what the kind of general population smoking stats were. And we realised that LBQ women's numbers in SWASH were about twice the general population. And um, I also happened to be on the board of directors for ACOG. Mm. And we were having a strategic uh, um, a kind of planning meeting for the next strategy. And I said, can I talk about smoking? And so I put up this graph that was Australia's um, kind of over 30 years, what the numbers look like in terms of Australia. And then I plotted where LBQ women were. And it's really quite shocking. And uh, I said, you know, I think maybe this is something we need to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so ACON ha- totally ran with it and mm. got some funding from Cancer Institute New South Wales. And we did some research on, um, we did another study specifically on smoking and looking at the differences between smokers and ex-smokers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really interesting because we found that there was a significant change in their networks. So. Mm. Women who no longer smoke just don't know very many people who smoke. They're much less likely to have a partner who smokes. Mm-hmm. We don't know how much of that is causal and how much of it is caused by mm-hmm. changing their smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a systematic review on um, smoking cessation programs designed for LGBT people internationally. Mm-hmm. And we designed, um, ACON developed a community intervention called Smoke Free Still Fierce, mm-hmm. which is gorgeous and and radical and queer and sexy and funny and cool Mm -hmm. um and a bunch of other work has come out of that all around smoking and and that feels to me like it's a really good example of swash giving those indicators and saying hey there's a red flag here there's something we could pay attention to Mm -hmm. and that then generating the work in exactly the way that it it, that data should be Mm -hmm. but because we often don't have the evidence in australia for LGBT people in general and LBQ women specifically. It's very difficult to um, get funding to do specific work because the argument is always, we don't have any evidence of a problem. Oh, right. So So are those some of the challenges that you've faced in doing the research, like funding and also basically this feeling that there's a, a gap and in order to get the research funds together to fill the gap, you have to have already filled the gap kind yeah. of? Yeah. Yeah. So we've got we've got two problems. General population studies in Australia don't tend to ask about sexuality. Okay. So there's lots of good data out there, but and there's definitely less than bisexual queer women in those data sets, but we don't know they're there. Even when we do know they're there, no one's doing the analysis to look at whether there's specific health issues for them. And then uh, studies that are done on LGBT people and LBQ women specifically, are often small or dismissed as community studies, which I think SWASH was for a long time. It's just a community study. Mm. Um, 
I think the smoking work we've done has been powerful partly because um, some of the work, uh, so we have a peer review journal article about the smoking data and the National Drug Strategy Household Survey now shows that we were right. Mm. What, what we were showing is, is what was happening at the population level. So I think that's, it's kind of, there's been a bit of a shift, I think, in terms of the perception of the study now. Mm. It's been running for 20-something, 20 22 years. That's is probably something worth paying attention to. Yeah, totally. Um, Swash is, is often the only evidence that's cited in policy documents because it isn't, often isn't much else. Mm-hmm. That's changing, which is really good. Um, we SWASH has never been formally funded, so it had some initial small funding from the local health districts um, in the very beginning. It's had little bits of money. We got, um, I think, $10,000 one year from the Ministry of Health in, in a kind of end of financial year cash splash. <laughs> um, uh, but it's not, I think... There's an interesting catch-22, which is, what's the health problem Mm -hmm. facing LBQ women? And then build your research around that, and then we can fund you for that thing that will kill people. Right. That uh, that sounds hugely cynical, but I think the major problem has been there is not a health problem. Right. Yeah. And SWASH is tricky because it's not about a health problem, it's about health. Right. And in our increasingly actuarial context that doesn't make it doesn't make the numbers add up does it exactly <laughs> will I kill them um, yeah and so I mean in some ways maybe that's why smoking got traction because mm. I think in Australia smoking has had a huge amount of public health mm-hmm. interest and a lot of government um, uh, intervention and mm-hmm. I think Australia sees itself as a as a kind of tobacco control leader mm-hmm. so it was it was um um, I was going to say it was an easy argument to make, but it wasn't. It, it, I think there were some, um, there was some reticence in the beginning, but I think once we provided some evidence, I think that did shift. Mm. And now there's some great work happening. Um, so we we we've gone for NHMRC funding. Um, I think we went three times, maybe when we. So Rachel and I took over about ten years ago, and we went for NHMRC, uh, and it was tricky because. It's kind of a pretty run-of-the-mill surveillance project. Mm. There's nothing particularly innovative or we're not going to come up with some wildly fascinating and shocking information. (laughs) So we kind of had to um, work up some interesting things to try and um, make it interesting for NHMRC. And I think at the time we were too early because I think there hadn't something like SWASH hadn't established that there was a problem yet. So it mm-hmm. seemed like a really minority kind of issue. Why mm-hmm. are we even doing this? Um, anyway, we didn't get the money. <laughs> um, and so we kind of gave up. And so the study runs now, and ACON put in um, quite a lot of in-kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so they provide a study coordinator who um, does all the recruitment um, managing work and promotion um, on the, every two years when we mm-hmm. do the survey mm-hmm. and um, they put in the cash to pay for the peer recruiters and they do all the design work so our report always looks beautiful and <laughs> um, Rachel and I do everything else so we do ethics and the analysis and the um, I mean the money is a challenge 
working with community is a different kind of challenge. I think there's kind of, I was going to say there's things you can get away with, but that's not quite what I mean. But I think if you're doing research just as a university employee, mm-hmm. the expectations are maybe lower. Okay. Or yeah. Something. Mm-hmm. Whereas working with community, people expect us to get things right. Right. <laughs> and they're paying attention in a way that they're they might totally not be. They're paying attention and they are, yeah. they are writing on the survey to let us know when we've missed it. <laughs> and, and on Facebook. <laughs> Engagement. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. it's great. I mean, I think that's how that's how things change. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, we're basically at time now, Julie. So thank you so much for speaking to me um, about the SWASH study. I'm sure our listeners will be fascinated by it. And um, is there a link that I can provide to it? If you Google SWASH or you um, Google my name, okay. you'll find it all. Perfect. So we'll put uh, some sort of information in the show notes for people who are interested in finding out more about the SWASH study. Thanks very much for listening to the She Research Podcast. You can find us on Spotify or Anchor or anywhere else that you get your podcasts of quality. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.